Hello and welcome to this episode, uh, episode 14 of Magic, Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host Chris and I'm joined by my friend Joe. Say hi Joe. Hello everybody. And this episode, are you a morning person or a night owl? Do you prefer to have fun in the sun or burn the midnight oil? Well, this episode will cater to both sides of this conundrum because we are going to be discussing the day slash nightbound mechanic of Innistrad Midnight Hunt. So, uh, first and foremost, as always, um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com, uh, Facebook. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash mtgunderthehood. And on Twitter, our handle is at mtgunderthehood. So, Joe, have you been working on anything new this week, deck-wise? I built myself a werewolf deck. Uh, it, it has been one of the decks that I've actually wanted to build for quite some time. I have always been interested in the werewolf mechanic and everything, the, the, the whole day-night side of cards. But when I saw that we were going back to Innistrad and we were going to do a werewolf set, I said, you know what, we're finally going to be able to pull this off. And I was fortunate enough to find a lot of the cards that I needed between the pre-release and release weekend. Uh, there's really just a couple. Right, right now I'm running Tovalar's B-Squad. It's not quite the, the top tier of some of the werewolves that I want, but, you know, this, this is a great start. I really do enjoy it, and I can't wait to take it into combat against our, our, our uh, playgroup. So, what about you? Well, I've been working on a deck called Life. Um, business, uh, my job has been getting a little bit chaotic and whatnot, and had my schedule changed a little bit, and That'll adjusting to that, uh, dealing with uh, stuff around the house... Yeah. So life kind of got in the way. Been like toying, like here and there, been tinkering, you know, a little bit. Um, one thing, I mean, I, I could put in that uh, um, I haven't really built anything. I kind of tweaked something. Okay. Um, I put an alternate win con into uh, my Galazeth um, Voltron deck. Oh, nice. Yeah, Good. I put Balduck in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I mean, it's like okay, and then I also had the uh, also put uh, the assembly manufacturer, the one where you, if you were to get one of the like a academy manufacturer. Oh, when you get the the one token, you get three. If, if you were to create a food yeah. uh, clue or treasure token, you get all three. All three, right? Um, so I threw that in there as well, just because I had that other, I had that token generation. So if I have a him out. I triple my token generation, which means I triple the mana that I can create off of Galazath. Right. So, just little tweaks here and there. I'm still trying to, like, fine-tune it because I'm trying to balance it being both a Voltron and, like, a Spell Slinger. So, I'm trying to find that nice balance. That's a tough balance or, to find, yeah. Or, like, a nice middle ground. Um, I'm also looking for, like, artifact, uh, like, equipment. Um, I really wish he had white imps just so I could use Sunforger just to go grab spells. But yeah. like I'm trying to find equipment that is also beneficial to what I want to do and it's just it's fun playing. It's tough balance. It always is, especially with equipment decks, you know. That they're, they're tough to run and run efficiently. Oh, yeah. well, I did finally put the finishing touches on uh uh General Tazri, my allies deck. Oh, good. My ally Remember you told me about that a while back. Um, got to play it, and uh, it ran like you th think it should, because I have allies from um, back in original Zendikar. Yeah. Back before they had uh, any keyword abilities, it was just whenever it yeah. or another ally enters the battlefield, didn't have the whole, what was it, rally? Rally, I think, yeah, became the, the ally uh, uh, yeah, so none of them had have the ally abil uh, yeah. rally ability, but it's just chock full of like. I think I'm only missing like one of the top tier. Oh, nice. Um, allies, but everything else, I'm like yes, good. Um, and it's just bonkers. It's fun, but <laughs> haven't really been able to play all that much. And yeah, the free time that I do have, I'm usually just watching YouTube or 
working through the Nuzlocke that I'm running in Pokemon, but nice. I have to restart that because of a wipe, but that's a different story. <laughs> different podcast. <laughs> yes. Chris's Failures at Video Games podcast. <laughs> oh, dude, I could I could totally do an episode, like, do a whole spinoff episode of just all this fails that I've done in games. It's beautiful. <laughs> some of them are really funny, some of them not so much, but... So, Joe, let's jump into this. Uh, words to live by. The words to live by today are two words especially important for today's topic. And we're going to use double-faced card and modal double-faced card. These are two terms that get thrown out, and they're, it's important you know the difference between the two, especially when we start talking about this day-night bound as opposed to the pathway land cycle that has come out in a couple earlier sets. So a double-faced card is exactly what you think it would be. It's a card that has two unique faces, one on each side, but it usually has a requirement for how to flip the card from one side to the other. And generally, when you're looking at a double-faced card, you are casting one side of the card. The other side, you can't cast, typically. Uh, You'll cast the front face, and that will be the side that will come into the battlefield most of the time, and then there'll be a requirement for how you flip it to the back face. Chris, tell us about modal double-faced cards. So, modal double-faced cards, or DMFCs, is a card with two unique faces, but as you play or cast the card, you have to choose which face it's going to be. A good example of this is the Pathway Lands. So, on one side, it's uh, you can... Tap it for white mana. Uh, I'm going to use the white-black one. I can't remember mm -hmm. what that one's called. But you, um, as you play it, you choose whether you're going to have it come in to be able to tap for a uh, white mana or a black mana. And as soon as you choose which one it is and it's on the battlefield, you can't change it unless you return it to your hand and replay it. Um, these uh, modal double face cards are exactly what that first word is. Modal. You have to choose which mode it is as it is played or cast. Um, so there are some restrictions to that, but with the double face cards, it, the only restriction is how it transforms. Right, right. With Day and Night Bound, this is a brand new mechanic, but it actually has some origins in previous sets. So Day Night Bound is actually an offshoot of the original Werewolf Transform mechanic that was first debuted in the original Innistrad block and then used again in the Shadows over Innistrad block. Now, the creature would somehow transform into a werewolf, again, if no spells were cast during the turn, and then it would be forced to transform back into a human if two spells were cast during a turn. And again, it was colloquially called the werewolf transform mechanic. Now, keep in mind, even though we call it the werewolf transform mechanic, there are a few older werewolves from earlier sets that don't really fall. They, they don't transform. They're just werewolves. Uh, to transform the card, um, the card is pretty much flipped over. You put the backside up. Um, so the backside becomes the front, if that makes sense. Um, but... Do note that these double face cards follow different rules from the more recent double face, uh, sorry, the modal double face cards, um, or other transforming double face cards such as uh, planeswalkers from right. uh, Origins. Magic Origins, yeah, the transforming planeswalkers, or even one of the more recent ones. There was a Nicol Bolas the Ravager. Yep. You could transform him. I think he was from M nineteen or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. You know, so the, the, the cards that we're talking about today and the mechanics we're talking about today, very different. There are actually a significant amount of rules that we have for this. So, Chris, sorry, I'll start off with 702, and will you pick it up at 724, discussing actually day and night, all right? Sounds like a plan. All right, so rule 702.145, day bound and night bound. Daybound and Nightbound are found on opposite faces of some transforming double-faced cards. Daybound is found on the front face of some transforming double-faced cards and represents three static abilities. Daybound means, if it is night, this permanent enters the battlefield transformed. As it becomes night, if this permanent is front face up, transform it, 
and this permanent can't be transformed except by its daybound ability. Anytime a player controls a permanent that is front face up with daybound and it's night, that player transforms that permanent. This happens immediately and isn't a state-based action. Very important there. Anytime a player controls a permanent with daybound, if it's neither day nor night, it becomes day. Nightbound is found on the back faces of some transforming double-faced cards and represents two static abilities. Nightbound means as it becomes day, if this permanent is back face up, transform it. And this permanent can't be transformed except by its nightbound ability. Anytime a player controls a permanent that is back face up with nightbound and it's day, that player transforms that permanent. This happens immediately and isn't a state-based action. Anytime a player controls a permanent with nightbound, if it's neither day nor night and there are no permanents with daybound on the battlefield, it becomes night. All right, now 724, day and night. Day and night are designations uh, that the game itself can have. The game starts with neither designation. It becomes day and it becomes night refers to the game gaining the day or night designation. It can become day or night through the daybound and nightbound keyword abilities. Other effects can also make it day or night. Once it has become day or night, the game will have exactly one of those designations from that point forward. The phrases day becomes night and night becomes day refer to the game losing the first designation and gaining the second one. As the second, par second part of the untapped step, the game checks and the previous turn to see if there if the game's day slash night designation should change. Uh, see rule 502 untap step. If it is day and the previous turn's active player didn't cast any spells during that turn, it becomes night. Multiplayer games using the shared teams option, see rule 805, use a modified rule. If it's day and no player from the previous turn's active team casts a spell during that turn, it becomes night. If it's night and the previous turn's active player casts two or more spells during the previous turn, it becomes day. Multiplayer games using the shared team uh, turns option, see rule 805 again, use a modified rule if it's night and, the, and any player from the previous turn's active team casts two or more spells, it becomes day. If it's neither night nor day, this check doesn't happen and it remains neither. So a lot of rules that really went into this mechanic. Let's talk about just 724, day-night first. So a couple important key ideas to take away from this. Unless you're playing with a day-bound or a night-bound permanent, a day-bound or night-bound card, the game doesn't care if it's day or night. It's only once that designation has been set that we need to establish day or night. So don't, don't think that this is constantly being checked now. It's only if the game needs it. Otherwise, you don't worry about it. Also, keep in mind that when we talk about the, you know, the steps of a turn and, and everything, it's usually untap, upkeep, draw. With Well, the really the first part is phased out permanence, phase in, phased in permanence that need to phase out, phase out before untap. But still... So we've actually added another part to the turn as well, if daybound and nightbound exist. So keep that in mind as, as to when that needs to happen. As soon as you untap, you check to see if it needs to change from day to night. As far as daybound and nightbound go, a real easy way to figure this out, if, if you bring something into play that has daybound, that's going to start the cycle. All right. And then... If it's currently day and you cast a creature with daybound, it's going to come up on its daybound side. But if it's currently night, you will actually cast the card for its, its mana value. But as it goes to come into play, it'll go on the stack face up too. But as soon as it checks when, when it's ready to come into play, it's going to see, oh, it's night and it needs to flip over. Because that daybound side is not permitted on the battlefield at this time. 
There are only very specific circumstances where that can happen. So as soon as it goes to go onto the battlefield, it's going to flip over to its nightbound side if the game is currently night, which is a great opportunity. We're going to talk more about that later, but it's a great way for you to get a more powerful creature at an extremely cheated cost. So a couple things to really keep in mind. Now also, this is a big improvement, I really do say, from the original werewolf mechanic, and it ha all has to do with the active player has to cast the spells. All right, I wasn't around for the original Innistrad. Chris, were you playing in the original Innistrad block? Uh, let's see, I think that was actually around 2011, so that was around... I was in the, I was in the Air Force at the time, so no, I missed it out. You were, you were I missed out. out. I know one of the big concerns that have always come about from the original transform mechanic was that you could cast a spell on your turn and then your opponent could wait until you were ready to pass priority on your second main phase and then they could go ahead and cast a, a spell and that would catch you off guard and all of a sudden these werewolves that you thought you were going to have for the next turn completely gone. And I know that's one of the reasons that people were kind of loath to play werewolves and they weren't as popular. Personally, I think this has really been able to, to make werewolves much more functional. And you can control them a lot more when they transform, when they don't. I didn't get to go to pre-release. I, I, life got in the way of that one. But Chris, you were at pre-release um, at least one night, if not both. Just, one. Just the one, all right. And, and I know you got to see some werewolves in action. So talk to us about, you know, how did this actually play in so, practice? So I actually had two, I built two different decks. Mm -hmm. I built a red-green werewolf deck. And then I built like a um, white-blue disturbed deck. Um, so both of them had, both of them got Radically different idea, yeah. But <laughs> both of them completely different. And I actually had... Now, mind you, it was like a little bit of a learning curve, mm -hmm. but just trying to um, figure out how the day-night cycle worked and everything, because yeah. nobody, like nobody there, really understood how it worked. And then, yeah. but luckily, the token cards that came in really helped out and everything. Right. And I, I learned that I had to play very strategically when I was playing my werewolves because. If there were if there was stuff that I wanted to respond to on their board, I would have to wait till their turn so that I could cast spells. So it's not my that way. I'm not the active player, and I'm not dealing with the day night cycle. Right. I'm not impacting the day night cycle, and uh, so I was. I actually had a a lot of fun, and but the hardest thing to remember was always to do the whole day night like keep track of this, yeah. the spell count and everything. Yeah. I felt like I was playing Storm again. <laughs> like, But you're, you're right, you know, because you do have to, you have to keep track of that day-night cycle now. As soon as it starts, it is a part of the game for the rest of the game. And it's that point you don't get a choice, so you have to pay attention to it, and every upkeep, or sorry, every turn, it checks, you know, to see whether it needs to go from day to night one way or the other. This is one instance where arena players are spoiled. That is true. Because Arena will automatically do everything. They'll transform everything, and they'll change it to day and night. Right. All they have to, all the player has to do is make sure they don't affect the cycle adversely to what they want. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Otherwise, Arena is going to take care of it for them. Well, let's talk about some cards. All right. I say we cover the most interesting one. We save that one for last. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there have been a lot of great cards that came out, and one in particular that I know many players have been after, and I was this way myself. As soon as I heard about it, I said, I, I want this card. I want to build a deck around it. Um, and I was lucky enough to find one, uh, actually an, an alt art one on release day. This is Tovalar Dire Overlord. He is a 3-3 Human Werewolf creature, legendary creature, for a generic, a red, a green. And he has, whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more wolves and or werewolves, it becomes night. Then transform any number of human werewolves you control. And he has Daybound. 
On the back face, he is Tovalar the Midnight Scourge, a legendary creature werewolf. 4-4. Uh, Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. And then he has the Kessig, uh, Kessig Wolf Run mm-hmm. land ability. Uh, it is X generic, a red and a green for an activated ability. Target wolf or werewolf you control gets plus X plus zero and gains trample until end of turn. And then, of course, he has Nightbound. I mean, this guy has been all of the rage for quite some time. He has been all over the internet, and already he he's the can't-miss pick for Commander on EDH Rec from this set. Um, he, he had a couple hundred decks to his name on EDH Rec before it even released. You know, it was a huge, huge deal. Um, but just a, a, an excellent card, and clearly one that was designed, I think, more with Commander in mind, but works exceptionally well in... In, in your constructed formats, all right? Like, well, one, because you have the, I think that's the harvest, it's called the harvest frame. Or uh, harvest. Yeah, that's it, harvest yeah. frame, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love the harvest ones, and, mm-hmm. like, absolutely beautiful. But whenever I, whenever I saw the show notes earlier to, earlier today, and I, you know, I was like, oh, what does that one do? I'm reading, and I'm like, my first thought was, this is going to be a pain to play against. Oh, yeah. Like, well, for any card that says, do something, draw a card in your command zone, that is, that, that's already, you know, I mean, we know the power of Chulane. <laughs> you know? It, yeah, and the, it, it's and just a it's bonkers. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but that means if, you, if multiple wolves deal combat damage, you get to draw multiple cards. For every wolf or werewolf that deals combat damage, you draw a card. So, uh, and especially... Itself? Board wipes. Well, and if it's on its if it's on its back face, you know, if it has midnight scourge up, if you're able to give, remember Kessig run or the, the 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 activated ability requires you to pay X red green. You can choose zero as X simply to give a werewolf trample. Yeah, because it doesn't have the whole X cannot be zero. Exactly, it doesn't have X can't be zero. So you can give plus zero plus zero and trample to, let's say, if you have 10 mana open, you can give it to five werewolves, give them all trample, and if they happen to trans- trample over the blockers, you just picked up five cards. And a little bit of damage on top of it. You know, So you just refilled your hand for 10 mana and dealt some damage. That is an amazing rate. Board wipe and removal. You need to include those. Now, what's especially important about Tovalar is actually that second half of his upkeep ability, his upkeep trigger. Then transform any number of human werewolves you control. This was an essential line of text to make him a commander. Without that line of text, he doesn't affect all of the werewolves that came before him. So because of that one line, all of the werewolves from Innistrad 1 and Innistrad and Shadows over Innistrad, now they all can transform with him. And that, that is really what made him such an important werewolf commander. So, great card. Fantastic card. Alright, so the next one that we're going to talk about is Reckless Stormseeker. It's a human werewolf creature for two generic and a red. He's a 2-3, and he has, at the beginning of combat on your on your turn, target creature you control gets plus 1, plus 0, and gains haste until end of turn, and daybound. His backside is Stormcharge Slasher. It's a creature werewolf. And he has a uh, 3-4. And he has, at the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature you control gets plus 2, plus 0, and gains trample and haste until end of turn. And, of course, Nightbound. That one is just absolutely beautiful, um, especially if you can play it during night. Oh, yeah. So you can, because I believe it's target creature. Yeah. yeah so it's you not can tar- target wolf or werewolf. It's target creature. Well, that and also you can give him, you can target oh, himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for three mana, you can put a three, four, and then go to combat and make him and give him the plus two, plus oh, make him into a five, four with trample and haste. And if you do it on curve, you're doing it at turn, on turn three. Yep. This one is actually going to see a lot of play outside of the werewolf decks. Uh, he's just a, an amazing red aggro card. Oh, yeah, red... I have a feeling he's going to be a staple in red deck wins. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Just because it's... Yeah. <laughs> he's a 2-3 three for 3 with combat tricks. Which is already which is already good. Not amazing, but good. 
I mean, it's just more good stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's more red deck good stuff. Exactly. You, you can't go wrong. Next, we're going to look at Tovalar's Huntmaster. This is another human werewolf, a 6-6 for four generic green-green. When Tovalar's Huntmaster enters the battlefield, create two 2-2 two, two green wolf creature tokens. He is daybound. The back face is Tovalar's Pack Leader. Whenever Tovalar's Pack Leader enters the battlefield or attacks, create two 2-2 two, two green wolf creature tokens. And then the activated ability is two generic green-green. Another target wolf or werewolf you control fights target creature you don't control. It has Nightbound, and it's a 7-7. Seven, seven. This one really, it, it doesn't do you much good outside of a werewolf deck, at least as far as I can see right now. But the ability to make tokens like that on top of it, that could be the only other reason that I see it's good. I mean, it's still a 6-6 six, six that when it ETBs creates two other creatures, which is, is still phenomenal. A 6-6 six, six for 6 that creates two tokens, that, that's great. You can't go wrong with that. Oh, yeah. But he really does shine mostly in a werewolf deck. Yeah. So the next one we're going to talk about is a Planeswalker. It's Arlen the Pax Hope. She costs two generic, a red and a green. Legendary Planeswalker Arlen. She has Daybound. Her first loyalty ability is plus one. And until your next turn, you may cast creature spells as though they had flash. And each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Uh, her second loyalty ability on her front side is negative three. Create two, two, two green wolf creature tokens. On her backside, she becomes Arlen, the, Mu the moon's fury. Still legendary planeswalker Arlen with nightbound. And her first loyalty ability on her backside is plus two, add red green, not not too shabby. Not too shabby. And then her second loyalty ability is uh, zero. Until end of turn, Arlen the Moon's Fury becomes a five-five werewolf creature with trample and destructible and haste, and she enters the battlefield with four loyalty counters on both sides, which is important. Yeah, that, that's very important that there are four loyalty counters listed uh, because if she, it is night and she enters the battlefield on her nightbound side, she needs to have loyalty. <laughs> Otherwise, as a state-based action, if she has no counters, she goes to the graveyard. So, I mean, all right, so for four mana, if it if she comes in at night, you can either plus two her, yeah, give her more loyalty to add two mana, you know, pretty much... I mean, not not terrible, not not amazing, but it, it's plus two loyalty, which is the big part. Yes. That, that's really the more important point. Or, mana, man, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> or, if she comes in at Nightbound, you can just do her zero uh, loyalty ability and make her into a 5-5 five, five on turn four, if you play it on yeah. curve. If not, you can get it out, if you can get it out sooner, even better. Yeah. And then it becomes a 5-5 five, five with Trample, Indestructible, and Haste. Which, I mean, that's just... Massive. <laughs> so, all right, let's just, let's just, you know, magical Christmas land. Uh, turn one, all right, we'll do it with a uh, commander in mind. Okay, all right. So, turn one, play a mountain, turn one, soul ring. Cool. Turn two, forest, tap both of those. Hopefully, it's... Holy crap. <laughs> turn, turn, uh, turn two, you get... You get to drop her on her face. Yeah. Uh, her face side up, it becomes day, which then starts the cycle so that you can then flip her over and you have a, let's just say turn three. Turn three, yeah. You have a 5-5 five, five indestructible haster. Well, f turn, at that point it's just trample and indestructible. Yeah. Uh, the nice part I like about Arlen is that even though she's clearly designed to go in a werewolf deck, any Gruul aggro deck is going to love having her. Now, um, the token creation, the big massive cr beating creature, the ability to cast creatures as if they, they had flash. Right? Yeah, that's right. until end of turn. Yeah, until uh, end of turn. Until your next turn. Oh, so you get an entire turn cycle that you can cast creatures as though so, they had flash. So, alright, I just figured out how this is absolutely beautiful. You play her, mm -hmm. plus one her. Yeah. And then end your turn, and then at the whenever they pass priority yep. at their second main phase, you just dump as many creatures as you can. If it if it you know it's going to go to night, while it's their turn, you just dump everything. 
into as many creatures as you can get out so that whenever it goes nightbound, yeah, you just get a bunch of creatures and you have some really awesome things out on the field. Well, and keep in mind, those creatures also come into play with a plus one, plus one counter. So they're a little bit stronger. All right, and so with, with, <laughs> so with the plus one, plus one counter and her loyalty ability, yeah. they stay the same if they transform, correct? Uh, say that to me again. All right, so like with Arlen, if she has, say I use the plus one and she, she goes up to five. Right. Whenever she transforms, is she still at five? Yes. All right, so the plus one, the loyal, plus one, the loyalty, loyalty counters, counters yeah. and the plus one, plus one counters stay on that creature. Yes. Whether they're face up or face down. Uh, whether it's day front or, or back faces up, yeah, yeah. Because remember, it's a status, so the counters won't go away. Um, loyalty counters don't go away. The four loyalty on the back is strictly because if it, she comes in night bound, she gets loyalty. Yeah, and that way she doesn't you know go away due to state based actions. Um, no, the only time you would lose counters uh, is if you exiled her and brought her back, and then she would come back in with four counters again, um, and the extra ones would go away. So we have two more that we'd like to talk about real quick. One is actually going to be really quick. The other one, not so much. So we're going to go ahead and do the not-so-quick one first, and then we'll talk about the quick one. Uh, this next one is a unique daybound, nightbound uh, card. It's called Curse of Leeches. So it's actually an enchantment aura curse. It costs two generic and a black enchant player. As this permanent transforms into Curse of Leeches, attach it to a player. We're going to come back to that. At the beginning of Enchanted Player's upkeep, they lose one life and you gain one life. Honestly, I mean, it, it's okay. It's kind of overcosted for, for the ability, but, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, there's there's a whole... There's decks built around curses. Yeah. So, you know, and it's a three drop, so it's yeah. tiny liters. So. It, it, it has its uses. And, of course, daybound, all right? On its uh, transformed side, its back face, we have Leeching Lurker, which is a 4-4 leech horror with a lifelink, and it has nightbound. Now, obviously, once again, if you can get this cast on its nightbound side, uh, a 4-4 lifelinker for three, that is good. That, that's a great, great creature right there. The unique part about this card, though, is that when it transforms from its nightbound to its daybound side, so when it goes back to Curse of Leeches, you attach it to a player. And there's a unique aspect of rules when it comes to auras. Auras only target when they are on the stack. So as soon as you cast aura, Curse of Leeches, you will have to target a player, to enchant with this curse, and it'll have to be a legal target, which means uh, if if it has if the player has hexproof from uh, what is enduring angel, I think is the the creature that gives you hexproof in this particular set, or from any other source, you can't target with that player with curse of leeches. They have hexproof after all, so they can't be the target of spells or abilities. However, when it transforms. From its nightbound to daybound side, when it transforms back into Curse of Leeches, an aura can't exist on the battlefield unattached to an object. So when it transforms, you have to attach it to a player. You can actually get around Hexproof because it no longer targets. All right? No longer targeting allows you to or enables you to enchant a player who has Hexproof with Curse of Leeches even though they clearly don't want to be enchanted. They don't want to be targeted, but you're not targeting in this case. You, it simply needs to have, it needs to be attached to something, and so hexproof no longer applies since you are no longer targeting. Same idea with Shroud. And which, Ward. And Ward. All right, Shroud, yeah, which I don't think players can get Ward yet. No, not yet. But players not can yet. get hexproof and Shroud, right. So since they can get hexproof and Shroud, this card gets around it. All right, which is really the only unique aspect of, of this curse. Otherwise, I mean, it might see some limited play, but I don't think it's going to see too much out of that. I mean, I like it just because it kind of... It, it doesn't really break the rules, and more along the lines of severely bends them. Oh, yeah. It's a loophole. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's a loophole card, so it's very... I love cards like this that kind of go, okay, you're doing a thing, I can get around this. Yeah. It's a lawyer card. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a judge card. Yeah. <laughs> judge. So we have one last card. Chris, tell us what it is. Oh, right. I'm going to butcher this name. The 
First try. Celestis. Close enough. Celestis. There we go. And it's a for three generic mana. It's a legendary artifact, and it has if it's neither night nor day, it becomes night. It becomes day as it enters the battlefield. You can tap it to add one of any color uh, to your mana pool. You can pay three generic and tap it. If it's night, it becomes day. Otherwise, it becomes night. Activate only as a sorcery. Mm-hmm. And when uh, whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, you gain one life. And you may draw a card if you do discard a card. So this one is a little bit of everything from the rules that we talked yeah. about. So as it enters the battlefield, it becomes day if it's neither day or night. Yeah. And then you can pay three and tap it to uh, change it from either day or night. Yeah. Well, from day to night or night to day. I said this one... It, it doesn't. It doesn't transform. It's not day bound or night bound, but it makes controlling the day night cycle so much easier. The yeah. only downside to it is, it you can only change what the state is. Uh, you can only change the night or day state as a sorcery. You know, at the same time, I'm kind of okay with that. I'm glad that they did it as a sorcery because then you could just break it. Exactly. See, if they didn't say only as a sorcery, yeah, people would be able to break it. Yeah. Well, all right. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, if it wasn't as at sorcery, only at sorcery speed, someone could swing in with, you know, a whole bunch of their nightbound creatures. Exactly. And you can just go pay three, nope, it's day, and then not have to take as much damage. Or the opposite could be true. You could be swinging in with daybound creatures, switch it to night real quick, and there you go. You know, at the same time, I mean, you could simply, on your opponent's turn, they could think they have all of these great abilities ready to go, and then, boom, you just go ahead and switch it to day, and all of a sudden their werewolves are humans again. So, I, I know they had to do it. Um, but it is it makes controlling the cycle so much easier, and that uh, the ability to draw a card and then discard a card, you know, being able to loot. <laughs> yep. I, I mean, loot looting is still card draw. Oh yeah, it is. It's it's not great or as good as just drawing a card, but it is still gaining some. It, it's looking at something new and getting some better options. It's in somewhere hand. between drawing a card and rummaging. So yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, card draw is card draw. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The Dominant Colors. This is basically a gruel set. It really is. It's designed for the red-green color combination, which is no surprise because that's where werewolves tend to be. Yeah. And we're and whenever it goes to... Uh, um, and Crimson Vowel, mm-hmm. uh, whenever we get... Whenever it's the... Uh, uh, vampire one, it's going to be a lot of, let's, if I remember right, it's more Grixis colors. For vampires? Yeah. Uh, mostly Rakdos. Rakdos? Yeah. yeah. So. But I don't, I don't think they'll do daybound, nightbound for vampires. No, nah, they'll that probably do sense. something more. Candid. That would be more like living and death. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, well, I mean, with, uh, Midnight Hunt, we got both. Day bound, day night bound, yeah, and then we also got disturbed, yeah. So they'll probably throw in, you know, the vampire mechanic and then just like the general yeah. overall mechanic. Right. But so for the dominant colors, like we said, it's mostly red and green, but there is a little bit of representation in um, a little bit of everything. There's one in white, one in blue, four in black, six in red, six in green. Three in multicolor, but all three of them are red-green combinations. And there are zero in artifacts or colorless. And what are the distributions of the uh, day-night-bound day, mechanic? Uh, we, we do have one aura. Mm-hmm. We have one planeswalker. And all the rest are creatures. <laughs> yep. All right. Now, and again, we want to point out, these are the ones that actually have daybound or nightbound. We, off, we, we obviously talked about the Celestis, which is an artifact, but it doesn't actually have daybound or nightbound. It will start the cycle. It can affect the cycle, but it doesn't actually have that, that, that keyword ability. So It's just uh, mechanic why, support. Right. That's why we're not counting it in there. It is just mechanic support. As far as featured decks go, 
We know that for sure there is already definitely a Gruel Werewolves deck in Standard. There's, it's already been established. Uh, whether or not it is completely Werewolves is up for debate. Uh, as a, a couple deck lists I saw use just a couple of the big Werewolves, like Tovalar, Reckless Stormseeker, and Arlen, to sort of like build things up, and then they go off some other creatures. But they're using the Daybound, Nightbound mechanic easily. I don't know how viable it's going to be. I know that a lot of times when sets first come out, you'll see like a flash in the pan for 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 a uh, an archetype, but we'll see. And then we'll see. And then everyone sees what the ladder looks like, and then they go back to whatever they were playing before. Right, right. Regardless, I know there's definitely enough support, and and there's definitely enough support to make it a fast aggro deck too. Because I mean, when I was building the the Tovalar Commander deck, a lot of your werewolves are CMC three or less. Don't you mean mana value? Oh yes, I do. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're really they're fairly cheap. Now, don't get me wrong; you want some of those higher costed werewolves towards the end, like so the Huntmaster, right? So you can actually keep up with what's going on. You know, as the curve gets higher and the game goes later, you need some more powerful creatures. But a lot of them cost three to bring them into play, three maybe four. You know, so I, I think there is a a competitive deck right now in standard, but. We'll see what happens. And definitely, I know they're a big hit in Limited right now. People love them. Partially just for the, of course, the flavor of werewolves. And the fact that werewolves are actually useful <laughs> and a little more reliable. But So I have just a small offshoot question, but it does pertain to this set. Okay. What's your opinion on the lands? Uh, the, 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 I don't forget what the... the the full art lands yeah. that come in the boosters. Oh, they're amazing. I love them. I hate that you have to look at the text for to make sure you're tapping for the right yes. color. But <laughs> they are absolutely beautiful. Oh, they're phenomenal, yeah. They're, they're, it's almost like a reversed foil edge with the way that yeah. they did the color and everything around it. I love them. They And uh, my wife, Emily, who's the artist mm -hmm. of the group... She absolutely loves them. Oh, yeah. Just amazing. because they are so beautiful, and you can't go wrong with black and white. No, you really can't. It's they're, they're wonderful. Actually, they are my my favorites are still what the un unhinged lands. The the one with the border. Uh, or no, the one without the border. One without the border. That's unstable. Unstable. Because right? I unstable, dropped like right. Because I dropped like almost a hundred dollars on lands just yeah. for my uh, just for the modern deck I was gonna play. Those are still my favorite. And those are really good. Those are just gorgeous. Then there's the uh, Constellation Lands from Theros Beyond Death. Those are my second favorite. But the, the ones from Midnight Hunt, and I don't think they have a fancy nickname yet. But those are, th those have to be number I three. I think they called them, I think I heard someone call them like Shadow. Shadow Lands? That would make sense. But anyway, yeah, those, those are up there. They are, they're amazing. I, Absolutely I kind of yeah. follow, so, like, it's definitely top three for me as well. Like, I have, un, I consider un, Unstable and Unhinged, because they're both, like, full art. Oh, yeah. Um, Those are very minimal border. Yeah. If that. Those are, like, top tier. Yeah, right there. those ones are, like, those ones are my favorite. Constellation or, like, the Zendikar lands. Zendikar was always good, yeah. With the full art yeah. ones. Yeah. Those ones, and then it's these shadows. Oh, yeah. They're amazing. Uh, as many as I can get my hands on, I want them. Oh, I want them, too. Yeah. And also, I'm, but I'm also thinking about it from a competitive standpoint. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> because if you have, if all of your lands look the same, but you're playing multicolor, if they're all black and white, it will actually be beneficial for you, because you'll be able to quickly tell. Yes. But at the same time, it's kind of detrimental, so... So, as an opponent, if you are playing against someone who is using Shadowlands, you are well within your right to ask what type of mana they have available, and they have to be specific. It is free information, it's completely visible, and if they don't tell you, you're allowed to get up and look. Alright? You can't look at their hand or anything, but you're allowed to get up and actually look at their lands. Or, depending on the enforcement level you may want to call a judge first just to make sure it's all on the up and up. But uh, you are well within your right, so ask. If you are in doubt, just ask. Speaking of playing against people, let's dive into the next section. 
If you're playing with the day-night bound mechanic, Chris, what are some things you should think about? So first and foremost, learn to control the cycle. So playing instants and creatures with flash over sorceries and creatures on your turn, uh, when possible, will flip it to night more easily. And you learned this when you were playing your deck. Exactly. You already alluded to that. So <laughs> the way that, as soon as I realized how I had to do it, I was actually playing an aggro deck, but control style. Yeah. So I wanted to do as much as my turn on theirs Yeah. so that I could get more benefit. Um, the second thing you want to do is keep it night as much as possible. Creatures with nightbound enter on their night side when the game is in the night setting, and the night setting is typically more powerful than the day side. Um, but you're only paying for the, but the cost is only on the day side. So right. like you always, you always pay the cost on the day side. So like we yeah. said, with like reckless Stormcaller or Tovalar, you're only paying. All right. So both of them are mana value three, but for Tovalar, you're getting what a four, four and for, um, the, oh, the back face of the storm seeker. Yeah. yeah. Storm seeker is like a four, a uh, three, four, three, four. Yeah. So you're paying, honestly, it's not overpowered, but it's slightly higher power than what's normal exactly. on the night side. And so if it's if you can control it to control the day-night cycle, to have it to all to predominantly be night on your turn, then you can do a whole lot more with a lot more aggressive creatures and just turns into an ag- a Rural aggro slugfest. Well, actually, I would say not even just night on your turn, night in general. Because, again, you want those werewolves to be on your side, on their werewolf side, when you're having to defend against attacks, you know, or when you're having to defend against direct damage from Spellslinger decks. They can take more, they can beat more, they, they, they're just... They, they are better creatures, typically. So... Yeah, keep it night as much as possible. Another thing you want to do is use your opponent's upkeep step to your advantage. Again, this is like playing a control deck. Yeah. Um, this is uh, your opponent's upkeep is the first time during your opponent's turn that you can cast spells. Um, know what uh, you want to eliminate um, for potential threats and that you also don't want to do on your turn so you don't mess up the day-night cycle. Um, you can cast removal spells during your opponent's upkeep before they can draw a spell um, to buff their board during their main phase or to stop them from, you know, pretty much you're throwing a monkey wrench into their plan. Yeah. If you're able to do stuff during their upkeep um, uh, to make it more beneficial for you while also not disrupting the whole active player spell count. Right. This is one of the most important things I realized when playtesting the Tovalar deck. Using those removal spells during the upkeep of the, the other deck I was playing really made it so it, the the other deck could not buff creatures as easily. It could not. It, it could only get cast instants. It could only respond to what I had to do. And if the the deck didn't have any way to respond to that 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 that, that, that um, damage spell or that that you know, confrontational spell, it's kind of out of luck, <laughs> you know. And and it just made it so you didn't have to wait until begin combat to like get rid of one of their creatures they might use. You just boom knew it from the get go. Um, not always the best time, but you know, use your use your opponent's upkeep step. It's often overlooked. If you are going to do that, I would recommend. Tell your opponent, hey, I have something on your upkeep, so don't draw. After you know, after you untap, I'm going to do something, so don't draw your card yet. All right. You know, just good advice. Yeah, just keep them aware that you have a response or you have something. Yeah. You have not so much an upkeep trigger, but you have an up, upkeep activity. Right. You want to do something. Yeah. Because, you know, again. Just let them know that way, you know, the whole priority thing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Joe, we've, I've talked about playing with it. What do we do if we play against it? A lot of the same things. You want to learn to control the day-night cycle. <laughs> <laughs> you want to cast spells on your turn rather than your opponent's turn, if at all possible. And I know that playing a control deck, if you are playing a control deck, this could be a little more tricky. 
but you really you want to make sure that when it gets to their turn, it's day. You're not facing off against those creatures, and you want to force them to try to do things on their turn. So the more you can cast two spells on your turn, the more you keep it day during your opponent's turn, and then you're really forcing them that if they want it to be night, they have to take an entire turn off, which may or may not work out for them. So because that's, if, yeah. Because all, so the whole forcing them to not do anything, um, you know, not, was it cast no spells? It yeah, becomes, zero spells. So it, they, so that's a whole double-edged sword. Yeah. Because you're gambling that by not doing anything, you can make it night and you're hoping that they don't really have anything that they can do on their turn to make it to where it's two spell they don't have two spells that they can do yeah. to make it day again so you're just kind of rolling the dice if you are trying to control the day night cycle on your turn yeah and and in addition to that realize that at some point your opponent who's using the day night cycle will have to play something on their turn because they're just simply going to run out of creatures at some point so they will have to play something on their turn so save that double spell turn for when you really need it. If you don't really need it and you can get by casting one spell, cast one spell, save the two, the double spell opportunity for another turn to get it back to day when you need it. You want to keep it day as much as possible. Uh, again, the day bound side is typically much less powerful than on the board than the night bound side. And the creatures on the day bound side are usually fairly costed so meaning they're not getting something extra for what they pay to put the creature or planeswalker you know, on the battlefield so keep it day as much as possible finally this one is just more of a general bit of information but something that you should keep in mind because your opponent is going to know this both faces of the double-faced card on the battlefield are free information the card is on the battlefield your opponent cannot look at you and say, nope, I'm not going to show you what the backside of Tovalar, Dire Overlord is. You should have memorized it. And if your opponent does say something like that, you call judge. a judge. Yeah, you call a judge and say, hey, he won't tell me the backside of uh, Tovalar, Dire Overlord. Can I get Oracle text for both sides? And the judge will give you the Oracle text. You better believe your opponent knows what both sides of that card do. Intimately knows what, si what both sides of that card does. So, check it out. If you're not familiar, ask. If the opponent is being a jerk about it, call the judge. Just get the judge involved. It's fine. But know what the backside does before it becomes a problem. The more information you have and the more you can realize what your opponent is trying to do, the better off it's going to be for you. Intelligentium es protisium. Knowledge is power. Absolutely. So, we've talked about how to play with it, how to play against it. Now, how is it going to work in different formats? So, probably going to see plenty of play in limited and standard, but it's also because it's a shiny new toy, everyone wants to play with it, see how it runs. Well, I, I really do think limited it's going to shine. Uh, I think the aggro portion of it and, and just the, the enjoyment of it. Plus, I mean, like I said, you got some really flashy cards that go with it. I think it's going to be fine in limited. Yeah, definitely a lot of shiny new toys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, standard, like we said, there is already a a werewolf, a daybound, nightbound deck. Uh, it's gruel, it's aggro, but who knows what's going to happen? Especially you're right. Once Crimson Vow comes along, we'll see how that goes too. You know, Commander. I'm evidence that Commander players love Tovalar. <laughs> I, I mean, as soon as like so, going off the whole Commander thing, I'm loving this set because so many tiny leaders came out came with it. Oh, like, absolutely. Like, I'm on the whole tiny leader, like, yeah. niche right now, and I'm just having a really fun time because very limited card selection and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Get really creative, have to dig into my collection just to find something mm -hmm. that works that's beautiful that I completely forgot about. But a lot of these cards are three, C three mana value or less. Yeah. Like, Tovalar, uh, Ludovic, like, there's a whole bunch of them that are, like, two and three drops that are just absolutely beautiful, and I would love to play around. Yeah. Um, but I honestly think it's a fairly fun set, and plus, whenever Crimson Doll comes out, 
Um, werewolves and vampires have, you know, I think on, even on Innistrad, like they had bad blood with each other. Yeah. So with Crimson Valve coming out, we'll be able to get um, some vampires to go up against werewolves. And so it'll just be a lot more fun. And uh, I mean, it's just a unique mechanic. And I'm really, we all knew it was coming. Oh, yeah. This, like, they had to do something to, to make werewolves more desirable to people and more functional in play. Like, we knew it was, all right, it's Midnight Hunt. Okay. It's going to be werewolf focus. Cool. Things are going to transform. We didn't know exactly how. We had a rough idea, but now that we've seen it and we've played with it, I think they nailed it with this one. I do too. Like, they keyworded it, they made it more concise, and, like, it's a lot, and it's a lot easier to keep track of and stuff like that. Um, Because back in the original Innistrad, the whole transform mechanic was that turn, the turn prior dependent. Whether yeah. it was your turn or their turn, it didn't matter. It was, it it was, was just too, previous turn. Yeah, it, it was. It was too. You never knew. Too unpredictable. And now with this one, it is active player. So and that made all the difference. And just by making it to where it was all dependent on the active player, that made, like you said, it made a world of difference and made it better. I agree. I really do. Unfortunately, I don't see any play for the daybound, nightbound mechanic outside of that. Yeah, in modern, modern and pioneer, those decks are pretty much set. Um, it's just too difficult to control the cycle. Yeah, yeah e- even with how easy, how much easier they made it to control the cycle, it's still too difficult and too unpredictable. You know, you you when you're going into those older formats, part of the reason those decks are so good is the reliability and the predictability of what you can do. Oh, yeah, especially in Vintage. Like, there are decks that have had... All right, what is what's Watsy now? Twenty Magic Slow at 25-plus? Yeah, something like that. So the Vintage decks have had 25 years to get tuned. Exactly. Standard, not... You know, Standard has a couple of months. At most, a year. Yeah. B- before it rotates out. So, yeah, it's definitely not going to see play anywhere no. past... Probably standard and limited, but I mean, well, com- like I said, commander, uh, commander, tiny leaders, those offshoots. It's going to be really popular there. Yeah, like outside of the mainstream. Yeah, uh, formats. Yeah, it's definitely going to be like, um, uh, what? There was one card that I wanted that I want to include. What is it? It's uh, it's uh, white. It's the white blue one that has disturb. The one that makes it so your cards in graveyard can't be the target of spells or abilities? Yep. Yeah. That one? Denik. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's going to be going into my tiny leader deck that I'm making just so that I can protect my stuff because yeah. I'm also throwing in some like white graveyard recursion. Oh, nice. So that way if I can make it to where my stuff can't be targeted, I can't get Bajooka Bogged. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Is that target player? You gotta watch, because that card is good, but it's not quite as good as what people think. Because I think it, I think Bajuka Blog targets a player, not the graveyard. Yeah, that one. All right. So you could get Bajuka Bogged. All right. Well, I can't get ex, uh, ex, uh, extirpated. Yeah, I'm gonna go with yes, because I don't know the text on extirpate. Because that one is, uh, it's split second and target, um, choose target uh, non-land. Um, non-land card in an opponent's graveyard, oh, well exile then, yeah. it, and then search their hand and library. Um, search hand, library, and graveyard for any cards that have the same name and yeah. exile them as well. Well, then there you go. Oh, yeah. That one I had, that one I put into my uh, Demer Mill deck just for Amos right. Titan decks. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're going to do this? Oh, you have that in your graveyard? Split second, that's gone. Yeah. Dismantle oh, absolutely. Everything. Oh, yeah. Guy, guy that's conceived good. off of it. It was beautiful. Really? Yeah. Nice. He only conceded one game, and then he proceeded to uh, trounce me the two, next two games. But that one game. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was beautiful. All right, Joe, we've talked about every, a little bit of everything. What's our extended reading? Our extended reading for today actually takes a much different standpoint than what we have in the past, and we're talking about the topic of finance. 
getting into this game, it, there is an investment involved. Uh, obviously, these cards cost money. It is an expensive hobby. It's not something that you can just waltz right into. I mean, if you only want to spend 50 bucks, you, you can do that. But odds are you're going to spend over the course of your career playing magic. You'll you'll invest thousands at, you know, yeah, you know, you will. Now, as you're buying cards, from time to time, it's not a bad idea to, if you see a card that is extremely cheap, maybe go ahead and just buy a bunch of copies because if you think that it's actually going to do something really well or be, you know, valuable in the years to come, Go ahead and buy it. A case in point. My ponder. Yeah. Well, your ponder. That thing is now worth an incredible amount of money. Yep. So, all right, backstory. Uh, a local game store opened up and everything, and I was talking with one of the owners, and I had, like, my bulk collection was, like, 20-plus thousand cards. And so I was like, hey, it's like, if you want, I can give you some, I can give you, like, 10,000 of my bulk cards. And we'll figure out, you know, payment later. And so I did, and I ended up trading like ten thousand plus cards for a booster box of uh, Jumpstart. And um, I didn't think, like, I kind of went through it before, went through the cards beforehand, grabbed the ones that I knew were going to be like high ticket. You know, there were a couple of uh, was spell sprites, the right. fairy dragons. So you only gave them. Bulk. I guess that was the intention. <laughs> I gave them nothing but I gave them what I thought was nothing but bulk. Um, couple days later or a week later, a guy was going through their bulk cards and was like, "Hey, do you know you have a you have a hundred plus dollar card in here?" Uh, and they were like, "No." And then I went in, you know, a couple days later after Joe told me about it and went in, and there was a foil ponder from Lorwyn, yeah. and it's I think it's like one hundred and forty dollars. Or like it's it's, it's up over a hundred. Yeah, it, it's like hundred twenty plus dollars, yeah. and they were like, now they were really cool about it because they were like, hey, do you want it back? We'll give it back to you. Um, and I was like, no, I didn't do my due diligence. It was a foil. It's a foil common. Yeah, that's uh, over a hundred dollars. And I was like, in my me looking at it, I was like, oh, it's just you know another foil common. Yeah, you know, exactly. There are a dime a dozen. I didn't think to check it to see that it was over $100. So, I mean, there are some cards that you might not think are worth a lot of money that actually are, and then there are some cards that you think are worth a lot of money and aren't. Well, and to make things a little more uh, relevant to, like, this particular set, there's a card called Immerwolf that came about during... It was Dark Ascension, all right? The second of the first time to Innistrad sets. Immerwolf gives other werewolf and wolf creatures plus one plus one and makes it so that werewolf creatures can't transform. Now, initially this was it was a decent card, but it wasn't great. It was it was about a quarter, you know, somewhere 50 cents or less per card. Well as soon as they had started spoiling the cards for Midnight Hunt and this daybound nightbound mechanic, the price of Immerwolf went through the roof. Immerwolf, I picked up two copies for a quarter each. Immerwolf is now worth two fifty a pop. Now that might be a spike price. And like two dollars fifty cents, or are we talking two hundred fifty? Oh, two dollars fifty cents a all pop. Right, all right, but still, when you look at that, I mean, that's a huge gain on a very cheap card. Another one was Ulrich of the Crawlin Horde. Now this one comes to us from Eldritch Moon, I believe. It's, it's another werewolf, a werewolf mythic. I, about a year ago, was searching through the quarter box, the bulk rare box, and it was, you know, just quarter a piece. There was only one. I was like, oh, I've always wanted to build a werewolf deck. Maybe this will work as a commander. Wasn't worth much now, then. It's up over $8 now. But sometimes we make bad purchases. Sometimes we invest a lot. And it just doesn't work out. This article tries to sort of like give you some ideas as to what to do when a purchase, an investment, just doesn't work out the way you want. 
even if you're not going to be a heavy investor, even if you're not going to be a heavy collector, from time to time you may find cards and you're just wondering about the value. And you want to know, you know am I, is it going to be worth it to spend this much money on a card in, in the long run? You know, aside from the fact, do I want it? Do I need it for my deck? Is it worth it to spend this amount of money to buy this card? This tends to give you some ideas as to when you made a bad choice or when the choice you thought was going to work out ended up backfiring. So check it out. It's called How to Recover from a Bad Buy. It was written by Cassie LaBelle, and it was published on September 3rd, 2021 uh, at TCG Player. There will be a link included in the show notes. Check it out. It's a really, again, it's a 10 to 15 minute read, but it has a lot of good information in it. Chris, I think we have sufficiently covered Daybound, Nightbound. Not succinctly, but sufficiently covered it. I think it's time we draw this episode to a close. Yep, so let's move to the cleanup. Uh, because this episode is a little bit longer than normal, there'll be no, we aren't going to be answering any questions. But for next episode, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to tell us what you've been building, anything and everything related to magic, uh, free, feel free to do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash mtgunderthehood. Or you can tweet at us with the handle at mtgunderthehood. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.